reading from Galatians 5, starting at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be <coughs> circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who, kid, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little, ye works, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> you, my brother and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and we, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the, fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let's see how you go at naming these trees. What do we got here? Olive tree, that's right. Um, the olives, <laughs> bit of a giveaway, aren't they? Yeah? Yep. How did you know? How could you tell that it was an apple tree? Yeah, the apples. Another uh, dead giveaway. But what about this one? A lemon tree, you reckon? No, nah, it's not a lemon tree. Orange tree. 
you've got, is that an orange you've got there? It's a mandarin, it's not an orange tree or a mandarin tree. That's right. It is a green tree. (laughs) Any other ideas? So it's a citrus tree, obviously, you can tell that much. Grapefruit. It is, it is a grapefruit tree. (laughs) Uh, The point, the point I'm trying to make uh, is that you can tell a tree by its fruit. So the difference between that tree and the other two trees is there's no fruit on it, so it's harder to identify. You could tell that it was a citrus tree of some kind, but without the fruit, uh, it's hard to tell uh, what kind of citrus tree it is. So you can tell a fruit, you can tell a fruit, you can tell a tree by its fruit, you know what the tree is by the fruit that it bears. And so it is with the Spirit of God. You can tell someone has the Spirit by the fruit that they bear. The fruit produced in someone's life is evidence, isn't it? Evidence that they know Jesus. Uh, Over the next few weeks we'll be looking at this fruit. Uh, As Adrian mentioned before, this fruit in Galatians 5, we sung about it before, uh, we read about it. It's there in verses 22 and 23 of Galatians 5, just to remind you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. I keep wanting to say patience. Um, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. But notice with that list that it's not a to-do list, is it? Uh, The emphasis isn't on performance or meeting a certain standard. Uh, It's also not a list of gifts or abilities. This is not a list of spiritual gifts. In fact, the New Testament has far more to say about fruitfulness than it does about the gifts. It's not to say that gifts are unimportant. They're given to us by God and by the Spirit to use to build one another up. But a lack of gift or ability isn't, isn't going to destroy a church, is it? But ungodly character can. And so this is the fruit of the Spirit. These are the qualities that the Spirit grows in us if we're followers of Jesus. Paul's talking about Christian character here. The things that we're to be cultivating, working at, Uh, in our lives as we seek to live by the Spirit. Uh, So let me ask you as we kick off uh, this series, are you bearing fruit in the tree of your life? Would someone see in your character evidence of the Spirit at work? Have you grown over the last year, over the last 10 years, over the last 50 years as a Christian? Or have you become more cynical uh, and defeatist? Have you begun to accept sin in your life, uh, saying, this is just who I am? Are you tempted to take the easy road and give in to what Galatians calls the works of the flesh in verses 19 to 21? Sometimes the path of sin looks like freedom, doesn't it? It's attractive. But Galatians reminds us of true freedom, Uh, We read about that, that's why we read all of chapter 5 in the lead up to uh, this list of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Christ has set us free, free from sin, 
free from the impossible task of making ourselves right before God. But we're not just freed from something, we're freed for something. Jesus didn't just save us so that we can jump back into the mud again, to be enslaved all over again. Check out verse 13 and 14 of chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. I think these are really important verses for us as we set up uh, this series. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. It's a good segue, I reckon, from uh, Exodus, what we learnt there, to the fruit of the Spirit. We're saved for service. We learnt that from Exodus. Active service, uh, seeking to live for God, to honour Him, to love Him. And it's, it's the Spirit that enables us to do this. All through this passage, he's mentioned seven times. The Spirit, the giver of life, makes it possible for us to live, to serve, to love, and to want to do it. And did you notice that love is mentioned first? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is our focus today. Each week we'll look at um, two of them, uh, but this week we're starting with love, and we're going to see that we're going to see why love comes first in the list. We're going to see what love is, and then what it looks like in our lives. So, why love comes first, what love is, and what it looks like uh, in our lives. So, first, why is love number one? Uh, there's a reason it comes first on the list. Uh, Paul wasn't kind of writing it and thought, oh, you know. I think it just seems right, it feels right to put love first. There's a reason love comes first and it's because love is the essential attribute of a Christian. All the other fruit flows out of love. All the other fruit are expressions of love. I wonder, what's your favourite fruit? What would you crown king of the fruit? Mangoes? Mangoes are pretty good, uh, especially this time of year. Uh, Maybe apples. It's hard to beat a good apple, isn't it? Like a really nice, crispy, not flowery, pink lady apple. Uh, Bananas, maybe? No, bananas are just bananas, in my mind anyway. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you really love bananas and they're your favourite fruit. Uh, Oranges, a juicy, like a really juicy orange is a good fruit, isn't it? What would you crown king of the fruit? Uh, We can all have different opinions, can't we? And it doesn't really matter. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it's not a matter of opinion. Love is the undisputed, heavyweight champion, king of the fruit. We've seen it already in Galatians, with the command to use our freedom to serve one another in love. So it's no surprise when we get to verse 22 and Paul starts talking about the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us, produces in our lives, the fruit that we seek to cultivate in our lives as we walk in step with the Spirit, it's no surprise that the head of the list is 
love. But it's not only in Galatians. If you've read the New Testament, you'll notice that the idea of love comes up a fair bit. When Jesus talks about what it means to be one of his disciples, look at what he says. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. See, joy is important, peace is important, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of them matter a lot. They're all key marks of the Christian. But love is the key mark. Love is the first on the list because it's right at the centre of living as a follower of Jesus. And that's because love is central to who God is. Something we're going to see with the fruit of the Spirit is that they're all things that are part of God's character before they're part of our character. When we're showing the fruit of the Spirit, we're reflecting God and what He's like to the world. Now, of course, that shouldn't surprise us because when you think about it, if the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God and that's who's dwelling within us, then it shouldn't surprise us that he produces God-like characteristics in us. That's why we call it godliness, because we're growing to be more like God. And the reality is there's nothing more central to who God is. It's not all there is to say about God, but there's nothing more central to who God is than love. 1 1 John 4.16 says it straight out, God is love. The very centre of God's character is to love. And so, of course, His Spirit will then produce love in us. But the thing is, this truth doesn't really mean anything, does it? Unless we know what love actually is. See, the world is confused about love. It mixes it up with attraction, with affirmation, with warm feelings. It's not that these things don't come to bear on love in any way, but like something I've noticed is sometimes lust even masquerades at love as love in the world. Love of self rather than love of others. So what is love? We've seen why love is number one. It's the essential attribute of a Christian. So what is love. Uh, If you're a regular 106.3 listener, uh, it really sounds like the first line of an 80s classic, doesn't it? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Uh, But as I said, the world's confused about love, so let's not take our cues from an 80s classic. Let's take our cues from Jesus. Let's look to him. So jump with me to 1 John now. 1 John is the book about love more than any other in the New Testament. Uh, I'll pick up a couple of verses. First, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Or 1 John 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
See, even though we were God's enemies, even though we'd rejected God and and lived our lives ignoring Him, rather than making us pay for our sin, rather than condemning us like we deserve, Jesus took the punishment we deserve on Himself. That, that is love. And that's why before we think about what love looks like for us, I want to make sure that we know that love. Do you know the love of God? Have you been impacted by the love of God? That's the most important thing. That you know that wonderful truth of John 3.16. I love it how John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 are both about love. Uh, both classic verses about love. At John 3.16, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. More important than anything else today is that you know this love. Because it's only when we know the love of God for us that we'll ever understand how we're called to love others. So what does the cross of Christ teach us about what love is? There's plenty of stuff we could dig into, but I'm just going to mention three things today. First of all, the cross teaches us that love is an action more than a feeling. Love is a conscious decision to go and do something good for another, regardless of how we feel. Uh, Secondly, love teaches us that, sorry, secondly, the cross teaches us that love is costly. Love is self-sacrificial. Christ loved us by giving his life for us. It cost him everything. So in the same way, love will cost us. It calls us beyond the borders of our own comforts, our own wants, our own needs, our own feelings. So it will cost us time. It will cost us energy, money, resources. It will cost us our capacity, our gifts, as we seek the good of others. So the world says love for the purpose of self, but the cross says love at the expense of self. The world says, what can I gain from you? But the cross says, what can I give to you? Look again at 1 John chapter 3, I read verse 16 before that says this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us, but then it says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then it gets really practical, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? You see the point it's making. It's there in verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love is so much more than good intentions. And it's so much deeper and better than simply unconditional affirmation. What does unconditional affirmation require of you by way of sacrifice? Not a lot. All it requires is a wave of the hand. Whatever you do, I'm fine. 
whatever you do, I'm fine. However you live, that's fine. But the problem with unconditional affirmation is that it's, it's, it's not that it's too loving, but that it's not nearly loving enough. See, when God tells us to love our brothers and sisters, he means more than saying, I'm okay, you're okay, whatever you do is fine and I don't judge. To really love is to lay down your life for someone. It requires you to die to yourself, which may mean a sacrifice of your time, a sacrifice of your reputation, a sacrifice of your comfort. But unconditional affirmation only asks you that you sacrifice your principles. So love is active, love is costly. Thirdly, love is undeserved. That's the third thing the cross teaches us about love. See, Christ died for us when we didn't deserve it. God didn't look down and think, they're so lovely, (laughs) they're basically good, only a few sins to deal with, that'll be pretty easy. Now listen to Romans 5, Romans 5 verse 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And this is the key bit. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the unlovely, and that's you and me. So we're called to do the same, to seek the good of others, even if they don't deserve it. That's why Jesus calls us to love the person we don't naturally connect with. And it's most radical when it's loving your enemy. It's a love that crosses boundaries, dissolves divisions and brings people together who would otherwise hate each other. And I'm sure some of us in this room would be in that category because that's the beauty of the love of Christ. It brings us together. Different people from different walks of life who see the world totally differently but have Christ in common. See, love is most beautiful when it's not deserved. It's in these moments that love is most needed. Uh, So what is love? Love is the cross of Christ. It's active, it's costly, and it's undeserved. Or it doesn't require the person to deserve it. But what does love look like? We've touched on this a little bit already, but I want us to get even more practical. What kind of things, what examples of love might we be encouraging in one another and cultivating in our own lives as we live by the Spirit, as we seek to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, love will mean involving ourselves in each other's lives, won't it? It'll mean getting dirty in the messiness of each other's lives. I worry when believers distance themselves from fellowship when people don't invest themselves into the life of their church family. Uh, The New Testament is full of encouragements to meet together, to build one another up in the faith, to speak God's word to one another in love. And sometimes that'll mean saying hard things 
uh, if we see someone drifting away or living in sin. But more typically, it'll mean encouraging one another to keep trusting Jesus, to keep growing in Him and to stay connected to one another for that purpose. And there are all sorts of practical ways that can happen, aren't there? All sorts of practical things that we can be looking to do, to love one another, to look out for one another, that will encourage each other to keep living for Jesus as we experience His love through the church. Well, what does that look like? Love is welcoming people into your family, people who might not have family in Canberra or who feel lonely and disconnected. Love is really listening to someone and then faithfully praying for them. Love is seeing someone standing on their own after church and going over to speak with them, even though you'd rather just chat with those you're comfortable with. Love is sponsoring a compassion child, though it might mean eating dinner out a little bit less. Love is persevering in fellowship with people you don't click with, with people you don't see eye to eye with on all kinds of things. Love is sharing the good news about Jesus with a friend, despite being afraid of what they might think of you. Love is including new people in your friendship group. Love is investing in people of all ages and stages of life. Love is maintaining relationship as best you can with with people who may have pushed you away, leaving the door open for restored relationship. Love can look like all these things. And so many more things. The danger of getting really concrete is that you miss stuff by getting specific. Uh, That's not an exhaustive list uh, by any means, just the things that I've thought of this week. Love can look like so many things. But as we consider love, uh, over the next few weeks as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, these outworkings of love, you know, love is the fountain, these expressions of love, as we keep, sorry, as we seek to keep living by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, as we work at cultivating this fruit in our lives, I expect that we'll be both confronted and encouraged at the same time. First, we'll be confronted. See, I can't think about these things without being struck by my failure. And I suspect that you feel the same. You know, this week has been one of those weeks where I haven't felt like loving anyone. And I'm conscious of where I've failed. On Friday night at youth, I lost patience at one point. And I actually said to the kids that I didn't want to be there. At that point, I made it about me, not them. And so... I'm tempted to despair at that failure, but I need to remember, and you need to remember, we need to remember grace, don't we? We need to remember that we're not saved by our love for others, we're saved by God's love for us. Our love is not to earn God's favour and mercy, our love is a response to how much God loves us. So a right response 
when we fail is not to wallow in guilt and despair. A right response is what's called godly sorrow. To turn back to God and thank Him for His forgiveness and pray for His help to grow in love. We'll be confronted. That's the first thing and it's a good thing because it leads us to repentance and faith. But the second thing is that we'll also be encouraged, I take it. If we're following Jesus, if we've put our trust in him, if we know his love for us, we'll be encouraged because the Spirit does its work in our lives. So expect to see the development of this fruit in yourself if you follow Jesus and in others and be encouraged We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and our growth is often slow rather than instantaneous, isn't it? But we do grow. We do mature. God is at work in us by His Spirit, making us more like Jesus. And many of those concrete acts of love that I mentioned before, I see those. I see those among you and it gives me great joy. It gives me joy when I see these things, when, when I see the Spirit at work in our church. Some of us start further back than others, but we do grow and I pray that you see that growth in yourself and in others that you're in fellowship here with. We're often better at seeing faults in each other, I think. Uh, some something that I know of myself is that I see the negatives um, before I see the positives. Uh, So one of the things that I've committed to is every Monday morning I send three encouragements from church the day before to the elders because it helps me to focus on what's encouraging. Maybe you can do something the same. If you're someone that sees faults before you see Joys. If you're someone who sees problems before you see the, the good things that are happening at church or in your own life or in others' lives, perhaps you could write those things down, that it, they're encouragements, and pray uh, on Monday morning, giving thanks to God. But the way that we speak and care about one another here Our world's not like that, is it? Our world is a horrible and selfish place. So the truth is, even our frail, weak, small acts of love stand out and they shine brightly in a dark world. There's nothing that commends Jesus to our world more than when people see our love for one another. So let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for saving us through Christ and transforming us by the Spirit's work. Please be growing a bumper crop of fresh fruit in our lives for your praise and the benefit of others. Amen.